Right, good evening to you. Let's see if we can go in and get into our Bible study. Once again, good to be together and have this crowd out here in person, but also there may be some joining joining in us uh, in a remote way. We're thankful to have you uh, as well. And the main thing is we want to get our Bibles and open up to Mark chapter 9 and um, have some Bible study together. Always the greatest means of encouragement comes from opening up God's Word. What a great thing it is to be able to let God speak to us through His Word and then we speak to Him uh, through prayer. So we'll do the latter first and then we'll do the former. Let's, let's, um, we'll bow together and ask God's blessing upon our time this evening. Let's bow. O oh Lord, we call upon your holy name and how grateful we are, Father. We acknowledge who you are and that you provide all blessings. Lord, for this hour, we, we thank you and ask your blessing upon all who are studying your word this evening, whether it be uh, virtually or whether it be uh, in person. We pray, Father, that it will be uh, truth that will be taught, that uh, your word will sink deep down into our hearts that we will have the uh, open and honest heart that we need to have. Lord, we're always mindful from day to day of the great love wherewith you have loved us. And Lord, this is expressed to us, we know, in so many ways we can't, we can't count. But, oh Lord, thank you for giving us a, a roof over our heads for the transportation that we enjoy, for the, the beds and the water and the food that we have from day to day for the doctors and, and their use of medicine and the many different um, means of get, getting us better. We're thankful for that, Lord. Lord, we're thankful for the country in which we live. We pray your blessing on us from day to day. Help us to strive to be the influence, the example for Christ in our everyday lives. Help us to reach out. Lord, we know the best hope of the world is your son, Jesus. Lord, bless us in this study and help us to uh, be ready to take what we read and to be quick to apply. Help us to repent of those things that, that, are, that show up as a failure in our lives. Help us to be quick to turn from that. Help us to be anxious to share what we know. Lord, we pray you, you look down upon those who are not feeling well, those who may be severely sick or those who may be uh, undergoing treatments. Lord, you know their needs and, and there's a wide variety of things, Father, happening. And uh, Father, we, we trust that you will, you will bless and that you will protect. Lord, we also pray, help us to keep our eyes upon uh, you and your word every day. Help us to keep our focus on being in heaven. And Father, thank you for the hope that you give us. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 9. There are so many people named in the Bible that are a blessing to us because we can read about them and 
see their situation and learn from their lives. There are also people in the Bible who can bless us and yet we don't know their name. We're going to find a couple of these type individuals in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. We'll be looking down to begin with. We'll be looking down to verse 38. Here we go. Time frame, uh, this is uh, following uh, the great event of Jesus taking uh, Peter, James, and John up on the mountain and being transfigured before them. And then coming down and encountering some problems, uh, particularly with a man whose son has been demon-possessed. And so this is the aftermath of all that taking place. So John... Notice, let's begin here in Mark 9, 38. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not forbid him, do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterwards to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. So let's start right here. There is a man here casting out demons, and he's not named here, but he can be a blessing to our lives. So a couple of questions that we will ask and answer to help us understand this little small paragraph. The first question is this. How do we know that this man that John's talking about here, how do we know he's a true disciple of Jesus? How do we know he's a true follower? Okay. So we'll give about four reasons why uh, this man is a true follower of Christ. Even though John did not know him, even though he's unnamed as far as our reading is concerned. Okay. I think these four reasons will be very helpful uh, to us. Reason number one is because Jesus said, do not stop him from doing what he's doing. Do not stop him. Do not forbid him. What verse is that? Verse 39. Jesus says, do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterwards speak evil of me. And that's important that Jesus, with the authority he has, with the knowledge he has, because of who he is, uh, steps forward and says, you know, don't, don't stop him from doing what he's doing. Jesus often would step forward and defend those that were being uh, criticized. Look in your Bibles in a couple of spots with me. Uh, right here in Mark, look at Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Notice this little episode beginning in verse 13. Mark 10 and verse 13. They were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant against them and said to them, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them. Do not stop them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say unto you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter into it. 
And so he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. It was right for parents to be bringing their children to Jesus. That's what we would want to be doing if we were living in that day. And that's what we want to do today is give our very best to bring our children uh, to Jesus. He can, he can protect them. He can watch over them. He can guide them. And he's the only one really who can do that. We need to look to our children and just say, look, we are servants of Christ, and it's our job to bring you to him. Okay. Look at another episode here back in uh, Matthew 26. Jump back a few pages. Matthew 26, Jesus is going to defend uh, this lady. You remember this, Matthew 26, beginning in verse 6. When Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster flax of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head to, as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? This could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said, Why do you trouble this woman? Why do you trouble this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. You always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me here. And pouring this ointment on my body, she has done this to prepare for my burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. This same episode is uh, referred to in John 12. And this time Judas is the main spokesman here. John 12. And Mary comes in, John 12, verse 3. Mary comes in with a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anoints the feet of Jesus and wipes his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples who would betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Jesus said, he said this not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had charge of the money bag and he used to help himself to what was in it. Jesus said, leave her alone. John 12, verse 7. Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. What, what Mary understood was, and remember Mary's the one that would sit at Jesus' feet and listen very carefully. She, she understood that Jesus must die. And she understood it to the point where she was willing to take some very expensive ointment and, and make a memory of this very important act that Jesus was about to do for the world. But he stands up for her, as he did for those bringing the little children uh, to him. So reason number one here, this disciple in Mark chapter 9 is true because Jesus spoke up and said, you know, uh, leave him alone. Don't forbid him. He's doing good. Okay. Now going back to Mark chapter 9 here, notice a second reason that, he, that we can regard him as a true disciple, even though he's unnamed, and even though he's not with the apostles. A second reason is because he's casting out demons. Okay. In Mark chapter 9, 38 through 41, no one denies that he's casting out demons. John said, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. We tried to stop him. And so, um, that's a huge fact. Right? 
For one thing, the demons could tell who was fake and who was real. Okay. The demons were able to tell if someone's trying to cast them out of someone's person or body, they could tell who was a faker and who was actually a real follower of God. Okay. And it did not go well for the faker. We have an excellent episode of this uh, illustrated for us. So hold your place there and look over to Acts chapter 19 for a second. Acts chapter 19. Okay. This guy just can't be casting out demons uh, on his own because uh, to do this regards you as someone true and not false. And This Acts 19 episode helps us here. This has to do with the sons of Sceva. Let's start in verse 11. Acts 19 and verse 11. You see it here. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even the handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched Paul's skin was carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits would come out of them. Can you imagine that? What power rested upon the apostles? Verse 13 of Acts 19, Then some of the, the Jewish exorists, uh, they undertook to invoke uh, the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. And they said this, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Isn't that interesting how they say that? Not whom we proclaim. But we want you to come out, O demons, uh, by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. So verse 14, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them. Notice this in verse 15. They said, Jesus I know. Now, if this was a movie, and I was a good actor, they would probably have this voice sounding gruff and scary. Right? I'm not going to do that. But here we go. Uh, verse 15 the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? You see, they could tell that these guys were, were not the real deal. Okay? They were not followers of God. But it gets uh, better. Uh, verse 16, And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and had master of all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon all of them, and the name of Jesus was exalted in that place. So that's another reason why we know this man in Mark 9 was, was the real deal, because uh, he could cast out demons. Demons, they had enough knowledge about them, even though they were demons, to know uh, who was following uh, Jesus. It's interesting, James 2.19 says the demons also believe and tremble. But just simply believing or acknowledging that Jesus is who he is does not make one a full believer, true believer. And that's what James 2 is illustrating, that faith with works makes a true believer and not just uh, saying the words. Okay. Alright, so a third reason why this fellow in Mark 9, 38 to 41, is regarded as a true disciple is because he teaches the Word of God accurately. 
He teaches the word in a very accurate way, very true way. Okay. You see that there? All right. You say, well, I don't see him teaching the word here in Mark 9. Well, he must be teaching the word, though. That's the purpose of these miracles. That's the purpose of why Jesus gave these signs to others. is because um, they were, this was to accompany the teaching. Okay. The Lord didn't give the miracles in those early days just, just for the kick of it. The miracles were not, um, they were not an end in themselves. Uh, they had a purpose. And we read about that purpose. Let's read about that purpose. Turn your Bibles, jump over to Mark chapter 16. And notice the purpose that, that Jesus has in mind for being able to do these things. It's not, just, um, it's not just to show off power. not just to claim to be from God. Notice um, Mark 16 beginning in verse 17. Mark 16 beginning in verse 17. You see that? These signs will accompany those who believe. Okay. In my name they will cast out demons. First one on the list, cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. If they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down on the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord... Notice this. While the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by these signs, by these miracles they were doing. So we know this fellow that Jesus commends here, even though he's not named, he's out teaching the word. He wouldn't just be out casting uh, demons away. But he's teaching the message of Christ. That would be another big reason. Now notice that uh, doesn't John say here, that he cast out demons in Jesus' name. Okay. Teachers, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. In your name. Okay, and then Jesus follows up on that in verse 39 and says, Do not stop him from no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon afterwards speak evil. Of me, so that's that's very important. What does that tell us about the man? If you're doing something in Jesus' name, what are you doing? Yeah, he that means you're doing it by his authority. So both John and Jesus refers to the fact this man is doing it under the authority of Christ. A great passage we sometimes read is Colossians 3, 16 and 17, where Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts unto the Lord. And whatever you do, he says, Colossians 3, 17, whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. There's a lot more to serving Christ and teaching His name than simply saying that or, or referring to His name. It means you're following His ways, especially His Word. Okay. So 
So you can see that. So uh, this guy is, is the real deal. Okay? Jesus says don't stop him. He's casting out demons. We know if he's casting out demons, then he's also teaching the Word of God in a very uh, accurate way. But then reason number four is because God cannot be associated with evil. This is what Jesus is saying here in verses 39 and 40. God cannot be associated with evil. And maybe I don't get this, but maybe I do. But it seems like when Jesus says, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon afterwards speak evil of me. In other words, you, you, he couldn't be doing both. If he's truly casting out demons, then he couldn't also be speaking evil of Christ. He couldn't be teaching falsely. Okay, you can't do those t- two things at the same time. And that's why Jesus goes on to say, You're either with us or you're against us. You're either with me or you're against, you're against me. He says that over in uh, Matthew 12 and verse 30. He that is not with me is against me. He that gathers not with me scatters abroad. So this man is doing the work of God, so he must be true. He must be teaching right because God is never associated with evil. Now let me ask you this. Was Judas able to cast out demons? Right. At one time, Judas, the betrayer, was able to cast out demons. What do you think? Everybody agree with that? Was Judas empowered with the ability to cast out demons and do other miraculous works? Hmm? Say yes. Let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 10 where uh, Jesus calls the apostles. And let's see if we can find Judas. Matthew 10 and verse 4. Simon from Canaan and Judas Iscariot who would betray him. So notice that verse 4. So, he gives a list of things that they would be able to do as they go out and do good works uh, for him. Do you find in that list the idea of casting out demons? Okay, verse 8. Verse 8. Jesus saying unto them, beginning in verse 7, Matthew 10, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You receive without pay, then give without pay. Freely you receive, freely give. But yes, that would be one of the things. And yes, Judas was able to do this. This is something that we inquired about a couple of weeks ago, that, Jesus, uh, that Judas had a down, downward spiral in his life. Okay. Jesus' selection of him was good and proper, and as, a, as an apostle, he went forth to do good works. But later at some point... He would not have been able to do the good works, the miraculous works, especially, because he became evil. For a person to fall away, as Jesus is saying here in Mark 9, no one can at the same time quickly, soon afterwards, speak evil of me. But he can 
He can grow to do that. That's what Judas did. What about that scene that we talk about a lot, uh, that we refer to a lot as we, as we teach the fundamentals, Matthew uh, 7, uh, 21, and we, we read this a lot, and we ought to. Uh, Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father who is in heaven. But then Jesus is really trying to set up judgment day for us. He said, many will come to me on that day. And what will they say? And one of the things they will say is, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Maybe they had at one time. But perhaps Jesus is referring to someone who had dwindled in their faith. Um, Or maybe he's um, predicting or warning that even though you could do these great things, you can still uh, dwindle in your faith. So these four reasons, um, before we ask our second question, let's, let's regard this. Uh, this man is unnamed, but he's a, he's a great follower of Jesus. So Jesus said, don't forbid this guy. He's casting out demons. He's teaching. And uh, God wouldn't be with him if he was not doing right. Now let's ask this question. Uh, what do the disciples, uh, those closest to Jesus, like Peter, James, and John, and others, what do they learn from this? What would they learn uh, from this occasion? Well, if you're here in Mark chapter 9, one thing that's going to jump out to us is that they will learn eventually that they are not to be smug. They are not to be smug. Uh, John says he was quick to say, I forbade this guy. I tried to get him to stop. Why? Why was John trying to get him to stop doing what he was doing? Yeah, he's not part. Of, he's not one of us. Not one of us. And Jesus was quick to to denounce this. I don't know a word for it, but I, I, you can call it smugness. This um, idea of exclusive superiority. Um, they were feeling that. Okay? Notice right here in Mark nine. Leading up to this, verse 33, as they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? Jesus asked his disciples. He knew what they were talking about. He says, but what were you discussing on the way? And they kept silent, for on the way they had been arguing which one would be the greatest um, in the kingdom. They argue with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and be servant of all. That's the, that's the crying call of Jesus over and over and over and over. If you want to be my servant, then you've got to count yourself last of all and servant of all. Notice that word all. And so he took a child and put him in the midst of them and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me and whoever receives me receives not me but him who sent me. So evidently there was this sense of smugness. Wonder what 
wonder what caused this. I guess this would be something that wouldn't have a wrong answer either way. Uh, it could be that you know they look look what they just witnessed on the mount. They were on the mount. Peter, James, and John selected from everybody else on earth to go up on this mount. What a tremendous! Who appeared up on that mount? Moses, Elijah. What were Moses and Elijah doing on that mount? They're talking to Jesus. Can you imagine that? What a scene. What a scene. These two great faithful men that have brought the world religiously to the point where, where everyone was at at that time, uh, there they are talking to Jesus. And then, of course, Jesus changes in appearance so brightly. And what, what an experience. So perhaps these experiences had caused them to start being, you know, exclusive thinking. Um, who knows? But here, here's the thing we do know. Um, they would have to learn to use their blessings and their great experiences to build the faith of other people. And that's, that's what they hadn't, hadn't learned up to this point, but it's what they would learn. Okay. And we have to learn the same thing is our blessings are, are brought to us not for our own benefit, but for the benefit of other people. Now, I think Peter and John and all of them learned this eventually. Uh, turn your Bibles over to Second Peter 1 for a, a second. Second Peter 1. And notice uh, this evidence that maybe Peter did learn uh, what what we're talking about here. Second Peter 1 beginning in verse 16. Second Peter 1 beginning in verse 16. Peter says, We did not follow uh, clever, devised stories or myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Here we go. Verse 17. But when He received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to Him by the majestic glory... This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard it. We heard this very voice that came from heaven, for we were with Him on the holy mountain. And then he goes on to say, We have something more sure than this, the prophetic word, to which we will do well to pay attention. As to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, Knowing this, first of all, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, but no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, notice this very carefully. Peter seems to have learned the lesson Jesus uh, was trying to get across to him, that he was to be servant. Servant. And he was to use what he was experiencing, he used what he learned, uh, to build the faith of other people. That might be one thing that the, um, that the apostles are learning here. Certainly another thing that they learn is to rejoice in the truth. Rejoice when the truth is spread. That's a tremendous theme in the New Testament itself. It's what love does. 1 Corinthians 13, uh, verse 6. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. Well, our world needs to hear that, don't they? Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. And 
truly speaking, John and the other apostles should have seen this man doing what he was doing, and they should have commended him. They should have rejoiced that this was happening. And they learned to do that, but they had to definitely just do that. They had to learn it. Turn your Bibles with me a second to Philippians chapter 1, and we'll move on from this. Philippians 1, uh, this is still, even though we've read this a, a lot of times, it's still amazing. Some of the brethren had somehow maybe grown jealous of Paul's works. I don't know why you would do that. Paul was sacrificing his very life in every way. He's in prison as he's writing this letter. He says in Philippians 1, 15 to 18, he says some, um, some do preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, uh, verse 15, envy and strife. Uh, Some do it out of love, verse 16. Uh, Some, though, verse 17, proclaim it not sincerely, thinking somehow to afflict me in in my bonds. But here's Paul's attitude, verse 18. What then, only this in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and that in that I will rejoice. These folks being critical of of Paul were somehow had had had, uh, developed envy and jealousy, strife. But what they would preach would be the truth about salvation, the truth about the church. And Paul, he had such a heart for the truth that he said, well, at least the word is getting out there and it'll find good and honest hearts. So uh, that's one thing they could learn is to rejoice when the truth uh, is spread. What else do you think that the apostles may have learned from this occasion in meeting this mysterious, unnamed uh, disciple? Does anything else jump out at you here that they may have learned? Yeah. They're not, they're not doing the work of Christ by themselves. That's, that's a great insight. A great insight. Okay. The work of Jesus is too huge for just a few. And so I think this is an overwhelming... Jesus is a very diverse person, and he calls diverse people to his side to do his will uh, on this earth. And that's a great thing uh, to remember. Now, something that I haven't studied enough, look over with me to uh, Luke 10... For just a half a second. Luke 10. What is a half a second? That's a terrible thing to say. Uh, Luke 10. uh, 1 through 20. Luke 10, 1 through 20. These are... um, Notice that first verse. The Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out ahead of Him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He says, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So they come back. He sends them out on this mission. Verse 17 says, The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, 
Even the demons are subject to us in your name. And then Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Jesus rejoiced uh, with them. Jesus goes on to say, Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, but that the spirits that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus had a diverse variety amount of people that he was calling to him. They were receiving his word. He was sending them out. And it's been that way ever since. Jesus has a variety of people that, um, that he uses for his work. We, know, we can see that in the church, right? The church is not made up of, it's not an army of clones. We, we're not all, we don't all go the same direction as far as personality goes, as far as uh, purpose goes. Uh, we all do different things, but nonetheless, we're all called to the same gospel. And we all want to get to the same place and we want to carry out the same mission of Jesus. So you remember, uh, we won't turn over there, but 1 Corinthians 12, Paul uh, compares the body of Christ, the church, to various members of the body. The the eye and the ear and the mouth and the nose and the hand and the foot are not all the same. And just because they're not the same, they do different functions, doesn't mean that you can can, uh, disrespect one over another. Uh, the other. And notice this before we close out. In verse 41, going back to Mark 9, Jesus seems to have this lesson for his disciples, and that is whoever would support you physically um, is also doing a good work. That, that is something that the Lord brings out often in his ministry and through his uh, New Testament writers. Notice how he says that. In Mark 9 and 41, For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of cold water uh, to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. That's kind of the diversity that Jesus is um, underscoring here. Some folks can't make the, the trips and can't make, uh, just can't find themselves out uh, teaching one-on-one, but they can sure support those who are doing it. And Paul encountered that. You remember um, in Romans 16, 13, Paul refers to, to uh, Alexander and Rufus' mother. And not only was she a mother to them, but she had become a mother to Paul. Here's a lady who had opened up her home to Paul and had treated him. Perhaps she had uh, looked after some of his wounds Perhaps she had just been able to provide him a place of rest during his travels. But um, she is one extending a cup of cold water. uh, And she would have just as much a reward in heaven as anybody else. I I truly believe that. When Paul talks about his crown, 2 Timothy 4 and verse 8, he says, Henceforth there is laid up for me that crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me at that day, but not to me only, but to all those who love his appearing. And that's sort of the message of Christ here in Mark 9 to his apostles. This is not just for us. 
This is for anyone who loves the coming of the Lord. Anyone who loves the Lord. Loves heaven. Anyone who understands life is really all about. Uh, and we don't want it be, to be just for us. Um, and that the apostles will eventually understand uh, this. Alright. Any further comments you'd like to make upon this episode? Um, I don't know if this is of interest to you, but those who are not named sometimes draws my attention to them as I'm reading uh, through God's Word. Aaron is saying that um, going back to the idea of arrogance upon the apostles and coupled with ignorance, um, it's right. And, and Aaron makes a point there that, that I should have said a moment ago, and that is this man would have earlier uh, had an encounter with Jesus. He would have, Jesus empowered him to go out and do these marvelous works he was doing. And the apostles would have to understand that it's not just about them. And that's some marvelous thing about the Word of God. What we're reading is what God selected for us to read. It's the best for our salvation. But a lot of other things happen um, in the ministry of Jesus. Um, the way that the, uh, the biography of John ends uh, helps us with that. John uh, 21 25 that's how John ends his biography of Jesus now there are also many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books uh, that would be written so a very overwhelming purpose for Jesus uh, with which Jesus came to this earth and it would take a lot of people, and it still does. It still does. Well, I'm thankful to have this time with you in Bible class uh, this evening. We'll take about a two or three minute uh, break here as we get ready uh, to have our time of devotion. <laughs>